0: Sources, inside sources, inside sources, where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Post Boyd divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. So, what is Vladimir Putin really like? And how can the changes that Vladimir Putin has put in place in Russian society explain exactly what's going on inside of Russia today? Of course, Vladimir Putin first came to power in 2000. Dana Lewis uh, with the Nightly News was one of the first American journalists to interview Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, we had the opportunity here at Insight Sources to speak with Dana about that interview, about his first impressions of Vladimir Putin, how Russia has changed since he came to power. And, uh, you know, Dana uh, called in to us from London, and he shared some of these, again, first impressions. Uh, but it really struck me that he, as he reflected back on his interview, his sit-down with Vladimir Putin, uh, how we really didn't understand how Putin really felt about the former Soviet Union and its place in the world then and its place in future history moving forward.
1: He was very unimpressive. He was probably weak and uninteresting, which will probably surprise you. Um, Later on, his image was built by the Kremlin into the, you know, the the shirt off, uh, ride the bear, powerful leader of Russia. But at that time he had just come from St Petersburg he was a deputy mayor uh, he had worked for somebody who was very liberal um very capitalist oriented very western oriented but putin at that time we didn't understand his great mourning and regret for the soviet union and later on you know here's an image later on he would tell a story about how he stood in east germany when the the Berlin Wall collapsed, when people were, you know, parading and celebrating in the street, the reunification of Germany, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Imagine the party in the street. Putin stood in a compound outside of KGB headquarters with a a pistol in his hand, threatening to shoot anybody that came near the building. This guy just has this dinosaur view of the world and regrets so so much the collapse of the Soviet Union, when for the rest of Europe, it was th- this great moment of freedom. And he still lives in that movie.
0: That is fascinating perspective from uh, Dana Lewis. Again, he was one of the first to interview Vladimir Putin back in 2000. And I just found it so striking that he said, yeah, he was kind of weak and very uninteresting. Uh, just this former KGB guy and mayor. Uh, Really, not a lot to it. But what struck him the most was his passion for the former Soviet Union, Uh, and just how he mourned the loss of that when the Berlin Wall fell, when uh, some of these other things that most of Europe saw as great moments of progress and freedom. uh, He said he he stood outside the KGB headquarters with a pistol, threatening to shoot anybody uh, who even got close. So interesting. Uh, So in our conversation with Dana Lewis, uh, he lived in Russia for 12 years. And Dana provided Inside Sources a really unique perspective on what Russian society is really like under Vladimir Putin's rule.
1: People are just trying to live their life under the radar. If they pop up publicly, their businesses are taken or muscled out from them. It's a kleptocracy, a mafia state. And the inner Kremlin circle of Putin's has over time become much smaller. When he came to power in 2000, when President Boris Yeltsin handed over the reins to him, you know, there were a lot of Western leaning liberal economists, capitalists that that were there and had a voice. And that has all disappeared. The circle has shrunk. Um, And I think with all kind of, you know, dictators and People who survive through these vertical power structures in any country over time, you know, studies will tell you that um, they they hear less. They're engaged uh, with far less people. And, And in Putin's case, it is the Soloviki, the people of power, which are security services, spy services, the army. And so it feeds this paranoia in the Kremlin and their view of the world becomes very
0: Very narrow and dangerously so. And that's uh, our conversation with Dana Lewis, who spent 12 years living in Russia, interviewed Vladimir Putin. And I I think it's important. These are some important data points for us to understand both what's going on and what is likely to come next. The fact that he mentioned how isolated Vladimir Putin has become that it used to be this larger inner circle that had a lot of Western-leaning capitalists and economists, uh, and how they've all been replaced and all have gone away. And now it's a, a very inner circle of just power, the army, the spy services, which uh, I've always said that a, a leader that is isolated uh, rarely makes good decision. Uh, because the more isolated you become, the less input you have from various sources, the more you are surrounded by just yes men and yes women, the less likely you are to think critically, to think logically, to think strategically. And I think we've seen that, especially over the course of the pandemic. Uh, all reports have suggested that Vladimir Putin has become even more isolated. Uh, I think basically now we're looking at a man who has an inner circle of one. It's him. Uh, And that never leads to good decisions from a leader. You get off balance. You get paranoid. uh, And uh, those things are are clearly playing out. Now, in our conversation here at Inside Sources with Dana Lewis, he also said that Russian disinformation uh, is one of the biggest problems right now, especially inside of Russia. Uh, And often uh, that's a good way to actually predict what the Kremlin will do next. You can watch uh, what happens with the disinformation campaigns.
1: Disinformation is a huge challenge for us right now. Inside Russia, how do you convince Russians that these actions are not being taken against Russians, uh, but this is taken by the Kremlin and that they are not getting the full story and they need to hear it? And at the same time, Russia is doing things like talking about chemical biological weapons, suggesting... That the U.S. has programs inside Ukraine. I mean, it's masterfully false for Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, to turn around and say, well, oh, maybe there's an American plot to use biological chemical weapons in Ukraine. It's frightening because it lays the groundwork, paves the road for Russia to use chemical biological weapons and blame the West in that war, in that conflict. So a lot of people are frightened about that. Whenever you hear this disinformation from Russia... It's very telling and and in some ways predicts what we're going to see in this KGB style of disinformation in in warfare and lying as they did that there wasn't going to be an invasion and it was complete Russia hysteria.
0: So the disinformation, uh, as, as Dana described it, masterfully false, masterfully false. And so one of the things that we all should be watching is, as we hear reports of what is being communicated inside of Russia, that often will give us a good indication of where Vladimir Putin is headed next. Uh, because he's preparing his disinformation campaign to his own people, as well as the disinformation campaigns he does uh, to those of us in the West and beyond. And so that's a good way to, to look at it. That's an important strategic uh, thing to look at is what is he saying internally? What is he saying externally? Uh, how is he trying to position that disinformation? Of course, we've heard wild claims uh, on what he's been saying to anyone who will listen around the world. But when we listen to what he says to his own people, uh, that's where we actually get some some important in, information and intelligence in terms of where he's thinking, what he's thinking, and where what he's likely to do next, uh, so this is our conversation here at Inside Sources with Dana Lewis. Uh, he's an award-winning TV correspondent. He's spent a ton of time covering war zones. Uh, also has uh, his own podcast, Backstory with Dana Lewis. He's currently based in London. London. He was based in Moscow uh, as a correspondent for over twelve years, and we're going to stay with the conversation. Uh, and come back to more of Inside Sources' conversation with Dana Lewis, his conversation with Vladimir Putin, his interview, uh, and what he continues to learn watching what's unfolding in Ukraine. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Well, NATO was swift slap sanctions on Russia at the start of the invasion into Ukraine. But is there more the alliance could be doing or should be doing and what does europe think of all of this uh in our conversation with dana lewis again dana lewis uh spent uh, 12 years in moscow as a journalist was one of the first to interview vladimir putin after he came to power he's an award-winning tv correspondent uh, has his own podcast backstory with dana lewis uh, currently, he's based in London, and he called in to uh, speak with us here at Inside Sources. And as we continued the conversation, uh, he said that Europeans view Russia's invasion of Ukraine as part of a uh, a broader attack on freedom and democracy.
1: Borrowing on some of the words of President Biden, this is a struggle for freedom. This is the you know, despite the fact that Putin said that liberalism was dead. This is the the rise again of liberal, free democracies who understand that this is just not a fight about Ukraine. This is really about like free market economies and democracies in the world. And if Russia is not stopped in Ukraine, they will go forward into Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, the Baltics, and then onwards around the Black Sea through Romania and Bulgaria and threaten Poland, So this is really, especially from the UK, which, you know, fought the Nazi Germany. This is really about that fight for freedom in a renewed sense that we have to draw a line and that we have to push back on Russia. And if we don't, we are lost because the, the military campaign in Ukraine will just continue. Putin's ambitions are far greater than just taking Ukraine.
0: So, again, someone who has sat across the table From Vladimir Putin uh, saying that hey his his goal is not Ukraine, Uh, it's much further than that. And so, if you go back to the the first part of our interview with Dana Lewis and him saying you you have to understand how deeply Vladimir Putin mourned uh, the end of the Soviet Union, and when uh, the walls came down and when freedom really started to spread, uh, those were horrible days for Vladimir Putin. Those were sad days. Uh, for him, and so his view is is far beyond uh, just the border of Ukraine. And uh, he said that uh, his sense again, Dana's uh, called us from from England, saying look, throughout Europe, they know this is this is the struggle for freedom. This is this is more than than just Ukraine. And so you have to look at it just a little bit different. Uh, Dana went on to say that we could and should be doing more to stop Russia. Uh, a sentiment that he says is shared by many of the former military commanders.
1: So I know a lot of former U.S. Army commanders uh, who are, some of them are still in Europe, a lot of them were former commanders of NATO forces um, who feel that in a cliche way saying we can't have a no-fly zone, we can't have boots on the ground, that that is not enough, that that somewhere between doing nothing and doing something that would trigger a nuclear war with Russia There's a lot of ground between those two abstract views in that we cannot allow President Putin to do what he did in Chechnya. I covered the war in Grozny, where they flattened the city with fuel air bombs and just killed civilians endlessly. That there's something that has to be done in order to stop the Russian army. Yes, handheld stingers and anti-tank missiles are slowing them down. But they are going to destroy Ukraine. They're going to destroy those cities, city by city, from Kiev to Kharkiv to Odessa. And, and look at what's happening in Mariupol. I mean, 400,000 people trapped in there, melting snow to drink right now with no food. And civilians are being killed daily. It's, it's just these are war crimes. It's completely outrageous.
0: So I think Dana's on to something that's important because we always talk about it here in terms of the false choice and Dana did a good job of mapping that out that look it's it's not just a simple choice between doing nothing and just watching and nuclear war there are a host of things in between and Dana was encouraging look we we've, we've got to push more and push further nobody wants a nuclear war obviously Uh, But we've got to be smart enough and strategic enough and willing to push enough in terms of our thinking to not accept that this is an either or. That it's more complicated than that. It's more intricate than that. Uh, But it can be navigated. But you have to engage in that wrestle. You have to engage in that kind of thinking. Uh, And that's not easy. And not always certain. Uh, But it is required. Otherwise, we just end up with talking points and no real leadership. Uh, Dana went on to say that uh, not establishing a no-fly zone uh, while not <clears throat> providing fighter jets to Ukraine just isn't going to be enough to change the direction.
1: Why did the U.S. turn down this offer from Poland to hand over 28 fighter jets, Soviet-era fighter jets, so that the Ukrainians can fly? If we're not going to give them a no-fly zone, why don't we give them aircraft to at least police their own skies? The, the attacks on the city... From artillery, from multiple launch rocket systems, from aircraft, from Russian aircraft, has to stop. So just saying, no, 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 no fly zone, um, or don't supply aircraft, because we don't want to be seen to be launching aircraft from uh, NATO bases like uh, Ramstein in Germany, is, is not enough. P- people don't want to see this unfold the way it's going, and, and there has to be more to be done to protect Ukraine.
0: So as we were rounding out our conversation with Dana Lewis, uh, again, he's based in London, uh, 12 years in Moscow, Uh, interviewed Vladimir Putin early on uh, when he first came to power, uh, has sat across that desk and and has been able to really look and follow and and see his progression and what he's done over the last two decades. Uh, Dana rounded out our conversation saying that NATO may come to regret not adding Ukraine as a member. That's where a lot of the debate has been. Listen to how Dana framed it.
1: NATO has expanded not because NATO wanted to reach out and claw their way across Europe. It's because of all these countries that lived under Soviet occupation are are banging on the door saying we want to be part of NATO so that we're protected. Ukraine was one of them. Georgia was one of them. And a lot of people will look back and say we made a mistake by not allowing them into NATO because then this attack wouldn't have happened. Putin is going to keep coming. So you, you either have an alliance that can protect one another or, or you allow him to take more territory.
0: That's a really interesting perspective. Uh, had NATO been allowed, uh, had N- NATO allowed Ukraine to join earlier, would that have been a deterrent to Vladimir Putin? Uh, knowing that under Article 5 of, of the NATO Charter, uh, that invasion on one is invasion upon all. And I do think it's an important thing that Dana pointed out that I think often gets missed is, you know, NATO's expansion uh, was not necessarily because they were trying to just gobble up all of this territory and have all of these uh, places close to Russia. No, it was because all of these countries that had lived under Soviet rule knew what that was like. And wanted to make sure it didn't happen again. We talked about this last week. Those who fight most fiercely for freedom are those who have had it taken away. And they understand that. Uh, We also talked last week that the most decorated unit in United States military history was that of the the Nisei, the next generation of Japanese Americans whose parents had lost... uh, Possessions who had been taken to internment camps, uh, and they fought most fiercely, fiercely, because they knew, they knew what it's like. They they know what happens when freedom falters, and I think that's part of what we're seeing in terms of what's happening in europe and their feelings toward it we've uh, praised those in poland the extraordinary work they're doing to help refugees and we're going to continue that conversation uh, as we move things forward today there's a lot to get through a lot coming up here in hour number two of inside sources stay with us top of the hour news is next KSL News Radio, Sponsored by Any Hour Services. Listen at home or anywhere you go. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. This is Utah's News Station.
1: A gun in the face.
0: Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today.
1: Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela.
0: They said, you need to...